Jesus, you know. <laughs> oh, folks, um, I'm so grateful for you all. Um, this is a, a sweet, sweet body. And um, unfortunately, that's not something that's, that's often found. Um, and so please continue to cultivate what y'all have been cultivating here. The Holy Spirit is here. He's here. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about this temple in this body that the, the Holy Spirit is here. Um, so thank you all for having me back. Um, my name is Olson Duclos. Uh, and this week we're, I believe I'm, am I ending the, I'm ending it. All right. We've been journeying through the, the, the gospel of John, right? And this week um, we're going to, to be in the very last chapter, chapter 21. All right. But this is what scholars call the epilogue. All right. Uh, who here is a Marvel fan? Huh? Uh, this guy is. Right. Uh, if you're a fan of the Marvel movies, you, you know. Uh, you, you know that you don't just rush out of the movie theater when the movie ends. Right? No, no. You, you wait through all of those credits. They, they list every extra. All right. Every person who's in the, in the, in the orchestra, they list all their names. And, but we wait, right, to, to get that, that uh, post-credit scene, right? That, that scene that gives us an, an inside scoop on what happens next. This, this last chapter in, in John is, is, is John's post-credit scene. Uh, it, it, is, it is this inside scoop that John wants us to know about Jesus. All right, and now... Um, remember that, that John thought himself particularly close to Jesus, right? He, he knew him really well. I mean, as a matter of fact, that's why he wrote this gospel, right? And now th this, this post-credit scene, uh, it doesn't disappoint, right? Isn't it frustrating when you, when you wait the whole extra 15 minutes <laughs> and then they hit you with a Spider-Man will return, I know Spider-Man's going to return. There's three of them, right? Like, um, but no, John doesn't do that. Uh, John is trying to drive something home that he really wants us to, to get about Jesus. So, so don't miss this, all right? Uh, John, um, John is trying to drive home the, this fact that, that we, often, uh, we often ignore or, or we just don't, don't believe at all, right? And even when we do believe the, this truth, um, we tend to just forget it. So, so don't miss this. It's, it's a miracle hidden in plain sight, hidden in plain view. Right, so let, let's see if you pick up on it. Uh, John chapter 21, we're looking at verse 1 through 14. Uh, keep in mind that this is at the end of John's Gospel, folks. This is after all of the miracles, all of the healings. This is after all of Jesus' uh, sermons, after all the, the uh, crowds 
have, have come and gone. This is after the crucifixion. After the, the Son of God was nailed to a cross, died and was buried. This is after the resurrection. After his uh, disciples knew he was alive. They've seen him. They've had dinner with him. And then, and then this happens. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to, to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the, the, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to, to them, children, do you have any fish? And they, they answered, no. He said to, to, to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for, for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other di di disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from, from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the, the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the, of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the, the, the bread and gave it to them and so with, 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 the, with, with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Did, did you catch it? Did, did you see what just happened? Don't get distracted. Don't, don't get distracted by, by, by the details, right? By, by the amount of fish, because it's not that. Let's face it, some days you catch fish and some days you don't. 
right? If that's what this story is about, then it doesn't need to be in the scriptures. It doesn't need to be in the Bible and definitely not at the end of John's gospel. I mean, think about this. Peter's back at home with, 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 the, with, with the guys and they've all seen Jesus. It's been, it's been a roller coaster of a week for, for, for them, right? They, they've seen Jesus, their, their friend, their leader, their rabbi, their pastor, arrested, beaten, broken, nailed to a Roman cross. They watched him die, laid him in a tomb just a few days ago. And now he's back? Now he's, he, he's back raised from the dead? How do you process that, right? If you're a fisherman, you do what these guys do and you go fishing. That's what happened here. Peter says, I'm going fishing. The other guy's not having anything else better to, to do. They go with him. They're out all night. Day's about a break. And they, they fished all night long and got nothing. Nothing. And Jesus, from the shore, he playfully taunts them. And he says, hey, guys, don't you have any fish? And they're like, does it look like we, we have any fish? No. <laughs> and so he says, well, why don't you toss your, your, your net over there? See, see what, 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 what happens. Right? It's just... If, you know how fishermen are. It's like, oh, well, you know, I caught some on this side of the lake. You should come over to this side. <laughs> and then they get a decent haul, right? 143 fish. And, and considering that they didn't catch anything else that night, that's a really big deal. That's, that's great. And then these guys have breakfast. And that's that. I mean, talk about anticlimactic, right? I mean, John has recorded some of the most incredible things that happened during his time with Jesus, all right? He wrote, he wrote about Jesus turning water into wine, about Jesus healing the, the, this dying boy, about healing people who were paralyzed, about healing a man who was blind from birth. He wrote about Jesus feeding over 5,000 people with just five loaves, and two fish. He, he wrote about Jesus walking on water, about him raising Lazarus from the dead, not to mention himself. So why, why after recording all of these incredible things, does John end with a simple fishing story? I mean, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> but why do the miracle in the first place? I mean, it, it isn't so that they'd have this great fishing story, right? No offense, but, but this miracle is a not as good repeat. <laughs> All right? Because when, when, when Peter first met Jesus, or rather when Jesus first met Peter, that man, the, the nets broke. All right? That was a, that's a fishing story, right? But this, you're not going to top the resurrection 
with this. It isn't to, to prove that Jesus is, is alive and well because, uh, and that he has risen from, 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 from the dead because this is the, the third time that they've met him. They know that he's alive. Notice John, John and, and Peter, they're excited that it's Jesus, but they're not shocked. They're not, they're, they're, they're not like terrified. They don't think it's a ghost or, or, or something. Instead, John immediately assumes that it's Jesus. Well, you may say maybe, maybe it's so, so people would believe in who he is. I don't know about that. Because no one comes to faith from this. All right? No, no one is even around for it. The only people that got to witness this were the people who already knew who Jesus was. They, they already knew Jesus is God incarnate. That's the claim that got Jesus killed. And John... John is, is, is very particular. He's very clear about his reason for writing this gospel. Right before what we just read, uh, John wrote, Jesus did many other signs in front of his disciples that are not written in this book. So hanging out with, with, with Jesus, John had to, to witness some crazy miracles, right? <laughs> but he recorded these so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote this. He, he handpicked which miracles to, to tell us about. So why tell us about this one? And, and there's, there's usually a direct correlation be, between Jesus performing some kind of miracle and people be believing in him, right? People putting their, their, their faith in, in him. But that doesn't happen here. You don't read anything about crowds following Jesus after this. No one becomes a Christian from this. So you, you might throw your arms up and say, well, I don't know, Olson. Maybe he just wanted locks and bagels for, for breakfast, and he ran out of, out of locks. And so, well, maybe. But here's the thing. Jesus already has fish on the grill. <laughs> did, did you catch that? In verse 9, when they caught up to Jesus, they, they saw that he already had fish and bread waiting for them. He doesn't need what they brought. He just has them add some of the fish that they caught by his guidance to what he was already making for them, to what he was already preparing for them. They didn't even need to catch fish. Folks, don't you see it? This whole thing. Jesus did this whole thing just to have breakfast with his friends. Just to have breakfast with his friends. See, that's the real miracle, right? It's that Jesus once wanted, wanted to have breakfast with them at all. The, the, the miracle hidden in plain sight is that, is that God wants to spend time with us. 
that God wants to spend time with you. God created us out of his joy to share in his joy. He created us out of his love to share in his love. And when sin got in the way of our ability to be together, it wasn't us who made the, the, uh, the first step. No, it was God who wrapped himself in flesh to prepare that breach, to repair that breach that sin created. It was God who absorbed the, the, the penalty of, uh, of sin and death and, and, and all of his wrath. He did that so that him and humanity could be reunited again. God wants to spend time with you. Notice in, in this story that, that no, one, no one did anything good or bad here. All right? There, there's no sin here. There's no re- re- repentance going on. They were, they were just out fishing there's no need for, for a miracle even. And, and Jesus took this as an opportunity to have breakfast with his friends. Do you know that he wants to have breakfast with you? That, that Jesus wants you at his breakfast table. That Jesus, that, that God wants to spend quality time with you. That's the, that's the whole point of this thing. Remember, remember um, the uh, first chapter of, of John. I know it's been a while, right? John chapter 1, verse 9. He writes, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is known people. Jesus Jesus is known to us as Emmanuel. Right. What does that mean? God with us. We just sung about this. God wants to dwell with us. See, it's a good thing that John uh, recorded this because it's easy to forget the heart of God. To to forget that, that his point in all of this is his love. It's easy for us to, to forget his relentless tenderness in the midst of of a a busy life, right, and and trying to do right by God, somehow we we then forget how God is like. This is a, a reminder that before anything else, Jesus, God in the flesh, wants to have breakfast with you and me. That God wants to spend quality time with us. Does that sound, I don't know, somehow wrong? 
Like, like that just can't be true. Does, this, does that not sound theological? You know, is that, does it sound like something's missing? Is that too simple for us? Folks, there are some lies that keep us from this truth, right? We're going to name three of these lies today. We're going to name them so that they don't name us, all right? Um, this is, this is uh, just a sidebar. That's something that we say in our marriage, um, my, my wife and I. We, when a lie comes up, let's name it so that it doesn't name us. Use that. <laughs> Get you out of trouble. Um, lie number one. Lie number one. Lie number one is God's too busy, all right? God doesn't have time for me. All right, um, we, we tend to have this, this strange, uh, deistic, hands-off view of God. Like, like he created everything, but, but then he just, he just rode off into the sunset. Did, did you know that, that this line of thinking is completely different? It is a completely different faith. It is a completely different philosophy than Christianity. It, this is a completely different worldview. This is something called deism. All right, and, and it's, deism and Christianity don't have anything in common. In fact, it, it eliminates God's personality from the story. It, it eliminates God's heart and purpose for us. Instead of a, a loving and caring God who, who is invested and interested in, in, in each and every one of us, we're left with a, with, with, with a, with a distant God. A God who, who doesn't care for his creation, right? A, a God who really doesn't care what's going on down here and, and really doesn't care about what's happening with you and me. A God that, that is not personally invested in our lives or, or in the state of this world. An absent God. A God who abandons us. That's what deism is. All right, so that's a lie. You, you need to know that, that the Bible is completely opposed to this worldview. All right? Completely opposed to it. From the very beginning, to the very end, the God of the Bible is constantly interacting with and pursuing humanity. All right, the the Bible says, <clears throat> excuse me, the the uh, Bible says God has loved you before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. All right, the the the, the Bible says even if your mother and father didn't want you, even if they forsake you, if they disown you. God wants you. He will not leave you. Before the foundations of the world were made, he was madly in love with you. That means he, he had you in mind as he was designing everything. He knew that he wanted to spend all of eternity with you. We, we, we think God's too busy, but the truth is, if he is, then that's not the God of the Bible. Because the, the God of, of, of the Christian scriptures 
has gone ahead of you and has set a table for you. He's knocking on the door of your heart, wanting you to let him in. If lie number one is that God's too busy, then, then lie number two, lie number two is I'm too busy. All right? And now that, that's my lie. All right? Um, I don't have time to spend with God. I got work. I got kids. Got to deal with, 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 my, with, with my spouse. I got school. I got church stuff. I got this dog I got to take care of. I got all these activities that my kids are in. Whatever it is. I've got all these things taking up my time. I don't have time for God. When we tell ourselves that lie, what we're really saying, what we're really saying is that spending time with God has become a chore. It's become work, something that, that we don't want to do. Yet another thing that, that you have to do in your, in your already overbooked life and I get it. Like I said, this is, this is my lie. All right? I'm not judging you here. But I, I just, I don't get how that happened. Right? Like, somehow we took really good things, right? Things like, like getting to have a conversation with God in prayer. Like, you get to talk to the creator of everything. And he actually listens and actually cares. You get to read his love letters to you in his word. You get to just sit and be still with him. Somehow we took those things and we turned them into chores. Chores that we have to do to feel all right with, with God and with ourselves. If that's you, cut it out. <laughs> like, just stop. Quit trying to shame your, your, yourself in, in, into, into a quiet time or, or praying or reading scripture. Shame is not the motivator here. This is a gift to you. This is something that we get to do. The spiritual disciplines are a gift, not a chore. Sidebar. We get to opt out of the American rat race. There's a lot of just the way things are, right, um, that we just don't have to do. I didn't realize that until, you, you, you know that, that, that famous saying, I need a vacation from my? Vacation. What kind of nonsense is that? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we have, that's not how we have to live. We don't have to do that. We don't have to fill our lives with meaningless stuff. We don't have to be bombarded with our screens, bombarded with, with, with these different political camps. We, there's just a lot of things as citizens of another kingdom, citizens of, of another world, we just don't gotta do. So take advantage of that, all right? Being set free in Christ, don't now go and make yourselves a slave to the systems around you, all right? Make yourself less busy. 
You can do that. You, you, you may find um, that, that, that the things that, that, that you had to do, that they were mere distractions. Um, now, now notice, but, but before Jesus, the, the, the disciples didn't even have a fish to bring to breakfast. All right? They didn't even know breakfast was on the table. But God provided for them. He even let them participate. They weren't even going to have any, they weren't even doing anything, quote, spiritual. They were just fishing, folks. And Jesus, Jesus called to them while they were just doing this common thing, fishing. Jesus called to them and they responded. That's where we're at. That's what we, that, that, that's, that's all this is. Jesus calls to us and we respond to him. We're invited to have conversations with God. We're invited to get to know him better, to spend time with him. And if our lives are just too busy, honestly, let's just let's make room so that we can hear him. If we're not able to, to, to hear him, let's make some room, free up some, some space so that we can hear him. All right, so if the first lie was God's too busy, but the truth is that's not the God of, of the Bible, and, and the second lie is that we're too busy, but the truth is we're, we don't have to be, um, then here's the third lie. And, and, and the, the uh, third lie is the most sinister of these lies. All right, it's the biggest lie of all. And that is that God doesn't want me at his breakfast table. I've blown it. I've blown it too many times. I've burnt all of my bridges. I've done the unthinkable. So God, God doesn't want to be around me. And also, if, if you knew what ran through my mind, if you knew what, I, what I've done, you wouldn't want to be around me either. That's a lie, folks. That's a lie. It still smells like hell. It's from the pit of hell, smells like smoke. But if that's you, if that's the lie that you tend to, to b b believe, I, uh, I want you to know something. I want to show you something here. All right, so the, 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 the guy in this story, Peter, um, the, the uh, guy who hurls himself off of, of the boat, right, before they could even get to, to land, that guy followed Jesus for three years. Followed Jesus for, for three years. And he was always kind of rough around the, the edges, you know, constantly putting his foot in, in, in his mouth. But Jesus loved him anyway. And he journeyed with, with Jesus day and night. He, I mean, he knew Jesus, right? He knew who Jesus was. He swore on his life that he would always follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, he waited till all of Jesus' closest followers were in the same room. And he said, Jesus, even if all of these jokers leave you, I will never leave you. I am, I am more committed to you than any of these guys. That's what he was effectively saying to Jesus. And then, and then when, when Jesus was actually in his loneliness, darkest moment, 
when, when Jesus was in his lowest part of his life and he could actually use that kind of loyalty, he could actually use that, that, that kind of friendship. When he was desperately in need of, of, of a friend, that same Peter disowned him. Said, I've never seen that man a day in my life. I don't know who that is. I mean, have you experienced that kind of betrayal? Peter is no better than those who, who they, they ate at the picnic for, for the 5,000, and they were the same ones shouting, crucify him. That's Peter. Jesus, Jesus sees Peter after all that and says, hey, Pete, come have breakfast with me. Peter has no business on Jesus's guest list, all right? He has no business being at, at, at Jesus's breakfast table. He doesn't deserve to be there, and yet he's the first one there. Rather than shame Peter, which honestly is like, that's kind of the least he could do. <laughs> Rather than shame Peter, Jesus sort of uh, recreates that scene where, where, where Peter said, hey, everybody, y'all don't love Jesus like the way I love Jesus. Jesus recreates that, that scene. They're, they're all around the, this breakfast table now. And Jesus, uh, then now we're reading from, um, from uh, verse 15. Um, when, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to, to Simon Peter, and this is in front of, of, of his followers, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The gall. <laughs> <laughs> The nerve of this guy. And Jesus responds, feed my lambs. Jesus didn't even mention what Peter had done. In front of everyone, Jesus validates Peter. He didn't have to do that. He didn't, that was not, Jesus didn't have to do that. And then in verse 16, Jesus said to, to, to him a, a second time, and now um, as you continue to read this, you'll, you'll see that they, they kind of broke off from, from the group, right? Imagine they're just kind of walking on the beach now, just the uh, two of them. And Jesus said to, to him a, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, now privately, tend to my sheep. He said to, to, to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? Jesus knows all things. This is for Peter's benefit. Now, Peter, Peter was grieved because he said to him for, for, for the third time, do you love me? And he said to, to, to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to, to him, 
Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to, to you, when you are young, you used to, to dress your, your, yourself and walk wherever you, you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where, where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying, the, the, uh, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, Peter, you love me so much that you're going to die for me. I believe you, Peter. I believe that you're committed to me. Knowing what Peter did, that Jesus would still believe Peter. I know that you're, that you're committed to me even to the point of death. And folks, it's not just Peter, right? The, 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 the Bible is filled with people like that, people who have no reason to be on Jesus's guest list. This church is filled with people just like that who don't deserve to be on Jesus's guest list. We're broken people, people who have given up on God at one point or another. But God has not given up on us. Can you sense, can you sense the, the uh, shame Peter must have felt and the probably sheer terror Jesus, uh, that Peter must have felt when he heard that Jesus had risen from the dead? What are you ashamed of? We all have things that we're ashamed of, right? Jesus says, come, let's have breakfast. Let's get some time together. Let's have some quality time together. See, Jesus doesn't just love you. He, he likes you. And he knows you. And he likes you. <laughs> he orchestrates this entire miracle, this entire scene, simply because he wants to spend time with these men. He's done an even greater miracle to spend this life in all of eternity with us. God condescended to break into time, to wrap himself in flesh, to live as a man in Jesus, to pay the debt that we owed because of our sin. This is his invitation to each and every one of us spend some time with him. And he promises to spend all of eternity with us. God wants to spend time with you, and all we have to do is show up, make some room for him. Folks, how might your life look different if you took Jesus up on his offer? If we took him up on his invitation, how might our life look different if we spent more time with him? If we complained to him, cried to him, laughed with him? I, I, I want to invite each and every one of you this week um, 
to take a walk with Jesus, to invite him to come along. When you're having your morning coffee or you're in traffic on your morning commute, invite him in. Make time for him. Say, hey, Jesus, I, I could really use some time with you. You might just find that he's already there waiting with breakfast on the grill. Let's pray. Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love. For some reason, we, we struggle to receive this. We, we often think that this is just too good to be true. Father, help us to receive your love. Help us to, to, to realize that despite whatever circumstances may be going on in our lives, that you love us. So in the midst of the hardship, may we, may we invite you, knowing that you are already there. May we reach out to you because you make room for us. Just as John began his, his gospel with this incredible truth that, that you have come to dwell with us, he ends his gospel, he bookends it, letting us know that you, that you really still want to dwell with us, even after knowing all of our dirt. You have not forsaken us. Help us, Lord, to make use of your love, to live in your love, to trust your heart for us. Dwell with us, Lord. Amen.